Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. I'm Mark Kastner. This is the Sounder at Heart podcast. Joined by my co-hosts, Mickey Turner, Susie Rantz, Tim Foss, Beth Mantle, and Dave Clark. This has been an extremely weird podcast. How are they going to be able to handle that? Just the bottom line is they don't have an answer to that. There was never really a time when I was super concerned. Seattle did fine. There's a reason they got signed to first team contract. Very special guest, Brian Spencer, head coach of the Seattle Sounder. You know who he is. Brian how are you doing? I'd start off, Jeremiah, by saying one thing, and this isn't my quote. I have to attribute this to Tom Dutra. He always says, tough times don't last, tough people do. Welcome back to another episode of the Sounder at Heart podcast. I am Jeremiah O'Shan. Joining me today are... Me, Dave Clark. <laughs> Hey y'all, it's Beth Mantle and Tim Foss. Yeah, hey, we did it. We we did it. Yay. Uh so we come to you on March 2nd and Beth thankfully reminded me that we haven't even recorded since the Sounders beat Matagua. So rather than dwell on a rather dispiriting and frustrating loss to Nashville in which the Sounders looked pretty bad. We'll talk about it at some point, but let's let's focus on the good part of last week, which was a resounding 5-0 win over Matagua in which I wrote that the Sounders sort of shook off their doldrums of that dated back to last year. Uh, it was a little short-lived, but I do think it was a good re- at the very least it was a good reminder that there are some good players on this team that are capable of doing some very good things. Uh, at the top of that list, uh, I think Nico Ladero looked about as much like his 2020 self as we've seen, right? Like that was that was vintage Nico Ladero. In addition, like his goal, he had an assist, but I thought more than that, he just covered a lot of ground. He got on the ball a lot. You know, maybe it's not exactly uh, the best 11 version of Nico Ladero, but certainly better than I think he looked at any point last year. Yeah, I think I, in my own recap, hedged a little bit more about whether or not they had shaken off the very boring ghosts of the past six months. But yeah. it was a very, um, very exciting and promising game, especially after how boring the game prior had been the way that the attack was clicking against Matagua at home was just an absolute joy. Yeah. I, I thought that the, that, yeah, that there was everything you had like a little bit of everything. It had uh, counterattack goals. It had uh, set piece goals. It was, I think everything that we could have asked for in a, in a match, it was the Sounders' biggest ever champions league win. I think it was their biggest aggregate goal uh, margin of victory as well. Uh, just a lot, a lot to like. And in, in fact, I think in my research, it was the biggest single leg victory for a MLS team in the knockout rounds of this tournament, uh, which you know, is digging for stats a little bit, but I thought was interesting nonetheless. Seattle invented. Yeah. I I don't want to get too far ahead, but while we're talking about the really cool things, I remember when we thought all thought that it was really cool that we got, there was so much rest and rotation because of the big victory. So a bunch of players were 
pulled early. We got to see the bench kind of just empty out. And we all got excited about that because it, it gave us uh, hope that Sunday's, you know, short rest game was going to, going to go well. Um, still, it was a great moment to be able to see those subs. Um, even if the result didn't turn out correct, the, the process was really exciting, particularly when we've got um, not this week, but basically every other week in March is going to be a short rest week. Definitely encouraging to see, like you said, it didn't turn out the way we wanted on Sunday, but at the very least, it was good to see so much production off the bench. I thought Sam and Denrin looked good. Uh, Leo Chu looked really good. He scored a goal. Uh, he's now played in two straight games. Beth, is that the first time he's played in two straight games? I I have no idea, but I mean, we can say it is. Yeah. He's going to go look. <laughs> I Whether... think it, he scored a goal, and he almost scored a goal on Sunday. Like, it yeah, was close. He was, I tweeted I think... a summoning circle, and he immediately almost scored a goal. It was, I thought the Sounders best chance at the very yeah. least. Uh, he, you know, he, he picked off, I think if I remember correctly, he kind of stepped in front of a, of a poor uh, pass and drove into the box and hit his shot high, but it was in a match where the Sounders lacked seemingly energy. They just didn't have much going in the attack. It was a encouraging moment at the very least. And I he brought be, energy. I may be way off base with this, but I like, I think how whenever Leo gets the ball close to goal, he does something with it very quickly. Like, I don't think he, he wait, he doesn't really wait around with it and like wait for something to show up. He kind of makes his own chances. And I don't know. I feel like that's been lacking a bit and it's been fun to see. Patience has its place in time, but usually when Leo is on the field, it's not then. And uh, yeah, I think, I think it's good to have someone on the, like, I don't know if that's, you want him doing that, for 90 minutes but i think in the situations that he's come in it, it's made a lot of sense and it works out pretty well so far it has you know he, he's got what two goals and two assists in something like 200 minutes so one of my favorite he... Matagua things go ahead oh, go ahead dave uh one of my favorite Matagua things was we saw jordan morris as a, as a lone forward and um that has great uses for both the Seattle Sounders and the U S national team, because if you can feed Jordan Morris running onto balls um, as he did against Patagua, as he's done in wide positions, whenever healthy for so long, um, that really changes how Seattle can, can rotate their players, find space for Leo Chu to start once in a while as um, taking one of the midfielders out, but um, having that opportunity because Raul wasn't there. Plus, with the U.S. national team, um, I imagine Jordan running onto balls from Christian Pulisic and Brendan Aronson, and that looks really nice because those are going to be even better than he, he saw from Otago. So it should be uh, – if we can get 20 minutes a week of, of that from Jordan, it's going to be fun. He – you know, I, I think it's, it's worth pointing out that his goal came on a pretty bad defensive blunder. Uh, I joked about how don't take this away from Jordan Morris. That was his goal. He earned <laughs> no, it. No, he he didn't do anything wrong at all. I thought the pass to him though, uh, Christian rolled on. I joked that was you know he sort of pitched a changeup uh, that he underhit it so bad that it fooled the that he that it fooled the the Montagua defenders. But take that part of the equation out of it. 
there was still a fair amount of work for Jordan to do. You know, he had a, he had a lot of room in front of him. He had to beat the goalkeeper and he's, he did what has sort of become his signature finishing move, which is hit it early. Don't try to get cute and dribble past the goalkeeper. He just, you know, basically picks a spot and, and shoots at it. And that has done him very well. It seems like he he's found himself in quite a few of those situations and it feels like he's, he's gotten pretty good at finishing those one-on-one chances when he does that. So in that sense, it was just good to see, it was good to see him sort of back. Uh, the other goals were from Christian Roldan, who got a pass from Nico Ladero, another kind of blown defensive uh, assignment where he just ended up with the ball after uh, it looked like Montagua wasn't really set on defense. And then uh, Kellen Rowe had the put away of Christian Roldan's great cross. That was probably the best team goal, I thought, of the, of the night. Uh, Christian Roldan got a ball from, I think it was... Albert Rusnak. That ball was from, yeah, that was from Rusnak, which I, if that happens in an MLS game, Rusnak gets two assists in that game versus right. the one he was credited with. But the pass from Rusnak was outstanding to set that up. Yeah, it was. And I, and I, and so it, it's, you know, it's an, there was two things that I think have sort of become a little bit of meta commentary out of the Sounder Heart community that I'm, I'm curious what you, to think of or what you all think of it uh the first is this idea that jordan morris has clearly lost a step i don't know that i've seen a lot of evidence like i've seen him not look as sharp as he has been but i haven't seen a ton of evidence that he's actually looking slow uh and then the other one is that you know and and the other one i think maybe has a little bit more credence i'm not and i think it makes sense too that albert rusnak doesn't quite look comfortable you know we saw one of the you know, and we can kind of get into, well, why don't we deal with the Jordan Morris thing first? Cause I feel like it's going to be a quick answer. What do you all think is, does Jordan Morris looking like he has lost a step? What do we assess Jordan Morris in his terms of recovery? I think I'm highly biased, but no, stop slandering Jordan Morris's name. He looks fine. I think lost a step typically is not just referring to speed or acceleration, although it is primarily those things. It's usually used to describe like an overall degradation of someone's physical abilities. And if you've watched Jordan Morris, that has not happened. He seemingly is just as fast as he's ever been, just as explosive as he's ever been. And certainly at least as strong as he has been in the past, I do think, you know, he really hasn't played a ton in a year. It's understandable that he would still be a bit rusty as much, if not more so than any of the other guys who still have looked at moments like they're in preseason still. Um, It does also look like he, I feel like there was a stretch where it looked like his left foot had been built up to the point that it was almost as good as his right. It seems like he's lost some of the comfort using that left through the first three games, but those are literally the only criticisms criticisms I can come up with. I I think if he's lost a step, it would be very apparent in how either and both of uh, Gary Smith and Pablo Mastroeni decide to defend him. Because if he's lost a step, 
they're not going to sit back off of him. They're going to be right on him because there's no danger from him getting around. And that's not how he's been defended. And I expect that's not how RSL defends him. They're, they're going to sit back because they don't want to, they don't want to be on a highlight reel. And um, MLS coaches are going to notice that no offense to the sounder at our community, but all four of us included the MLS coaches are going to notice that. And if they think Jordan Morris has lost a step, they defend him differently um, as opposed to letting, you know, they're not good. Frankly, I didn't see it at Nashville. I didn't see anything to indicate that he'd lost a step based off of how they were defending him. And um, I don't expect it at RSL this weekend. So the, the other thing that I think might have a little bit more credence and like I said, is maybe a little bit more understandable is Albert Rusnak's fit into this team. You know, we saw him against uh, in both in every game. I think he has moved around some he's played out wide. He's played as a 10 and against, against uh, Nashville, he actually sat deep while Christian Roldan remained as a winger. Uh, that I think is an interesting tactical choice. I do think it was a, it seems to be a purposeful tactical choice. And I'm curious what, you know, what you guys think of that, because I, I understand, I definitely understand the thought process, which is we don't know what his best position is. And it, and maybe if he can sit deeper like that, it gives us uh, an option to use a Christian Roldan in more of a field stretching way. And, you know, like someone who, who provides a little bit of verticality to take a, a phrase from the Greg Burhalter book of, of soccer tactics. Um, but at the same time, it's pulling him farther away from goal and his primarily his, his primary asset uh, since he's been in MLS is that he's a, he's someone that creates a lot of goals. Uh, Dave, where do you fall on the use of Albert Rusnak and how he's adapting to the Sounders? I think I don't like him as a number six. I did like him as that odd. He played as a 10 that was so high while Jordan was out wide as the lone forward for about like eight minutes. It looked like Rusnak was a nine and they just had no right wing. Uh, I love that. I love him in any of the front four positions. I mean, he's an 11 goal, 11 assist guy from last year. I, I want him within 35 yards of the opponent's goal. I don't want his touch as close to Stefan Fry. Um, I kind of understand it. We used to think that Nico Ladera would be this great, like deep line playmaker because of all the ground he covered. Um, but at this point, uh, getting the offense going is more important than the defense. And that means Albert Rusnak should have touches in the final third. So I don't really like it. Um, at the same point, I, I do think that he took time to gel with RSL last year. We think of him as an 11 goal 11 assist guy from last season but for the first half of the season rsl fans wanted him gone because he basic i think he was at one and one at, at the all-star break um, i don't know if it was i don't know if it was that bad but he definitely i think he had no he had either one goal and a combined he, his first eight games were virtually not like he didn't produce almost anything his first eight games and then after that i think he started to produce a little bit more but he did go through a you know a couple two or three months without producing, which is a significant amount of time. And I imagine if he goes that long in Seattle, people are going to get pretty restless. <laughs> At the same point, 
if at the end of the, you know, Schmetz made that joke about going on the 13 game unbeaten at the end of the year. Right. Uh, rather than at the beginning of the year. So um, maybe we just have to bear with it for, for March um, and maybe a little bit longer. Well, I think one, you know, the, the schedule after this week for the rest of this month is pretty jam packed. So guys are going to get the time on the field in actual game situations to figure out how they play together and what works best. Um, so if, if a sort of rough March is what it takes to fully shake the rust off and build some chemistry, then if they come out of that with those things in hand, that's a pretty good situation to be in. I think with Rusnak, it's, it's tough. I think, especially looking at that Nashville game where, okay, the, the big issue proved to be to Schmetzer's point, they struggled to establish tempo and they were really allowing their offensive tempo to be dictated by Nashville's defensive shape rather than pressing the tempo. But they also just didn't, didn't have anyone pulling those strings or unlocking that defense. And it seems like Rusnak is the guy that if you get him the ball in those situations, he's going to find the pass that unlocks a, or unleashes a runner into space. Maybe moving him back was an attempt to establish tempo or to get him more touches because we were struggling to get the ball in those advanced midfield positions, but either way, it didn't really work out. And it's tough to say one way or the other at this point. Um, I would prefer to see him in more advanced positions, but if that's, that's not the way that Schmetzer and his staff feel like they're going to get the most out of him and the guys around him, then they've got a pretty good track record. Yeah. I think that's sort of the, I, I would imagine everyone probably agrees that Albert Rusnak farther up the field is the ideal, but if he's not getting the ball, which he wasn't really doing. And I think that, and, and it also showed like the most telling stat to me from that game was the 33 touches that Sam and Denneran and Jordan Morris combined for, which I don't necessarily think is all on them. I think that speaks to how much the strong Sounders struggled to get the ball into the attack. Like, especially in those first 30 minutes, what struck me was how many turnovers the Sounders had in their own end. And that was, you know, that was everybody. They, they were just the, the Nashville press was working very effectively. And it, it almost seemed like the Sounders were a little shook after that. Like they didn't quite, you know, in order to regain possession, to regain hold of the game, they sort of had to, like play it out to the wings and get a lot more conservative or or the wings, the fullbacks. And, and as a result, they sort of abandoned their game plan and they, and they sort of like allowed the, like you said, they allowed the game to be slowed down a bit. They, they weren't pressing Nashville. I don't remember almost any genuine transition opportunities. Like there was a few that started, but nothing that, that really came off as a, as a full fledged chance. Uh, that said, I, I feel like one other positive before we get to too deep into the negatives is we saw Obed Vargas play for a third straight game in this one. This is a 16-year-old, and I thought he looked very good against Nashville. 
I thought he again looked, or, or I'm sorry, I thought he looked very good against Matagua. And he looked again, like he was one of the few players who I thought was actually pressing the action a little bit against Nashville. He wasn't always super effective, but I think in the span of three games, we've seen him move from being like just a player who's doing a good job of blending in to being someone who might actually be a, a, a value add on the roster uh, for a 16 year old kid who had just one MLS appearance coming into this season, who hasn't really even produced a ton at the USL level. I came away really impressed. Dave, you've watched him probably more than any of us. What, what have you thought of Obed's uh, performance so far? I think one of the most interesting things about the transition from USL championship to MLS for him is that he's become much more active as a ball carrier. And some of that might just be because Nashville was willing to let him carry the ball rather than his midfield partners, but he did it rather than look. He's like, if you're not going to cover me, I'm going to dribble up the field. Someone else on my team will cover my space and I'll look for a pass inside the, the attacking half. And that was pretty neat because um, oftentimes a, a teenager in their early career, when faced those opportunities, they'll still look for a lateral pass to not work because they'll be worried about, well, am I going to get admonished for leaving the space I'm supposed to control? And his attitude was, if they're going to give me 40 yards, I'm going to dribble 40 yards. And he did it on several occasions. And to me, that was a, a great demonstration of his mentality um, that he he's willing to take advantage of any opportunity that he's given. I think to, to add on to that or piggyback from what Dave just said, one of the interesting things with Obed has been after each of these three games, he has been a topic of Brian Schmetzer's press conference and also often the press conference portion with players prior to Schmetzer. Um, and Schmetzer has praised him and then either – said generally he's got areas that he could grow or pointed to more specific areas. And then in the following game, Obed improves in those points of criticism, whether that's something that like in training, they already knew, okay, Obed can do this thing, but let's, you know, not make his task too difficult. Let's sort of give him a narrower band of the game to play within and we'll see how he does there. And then as he improves or impresses, we'll, you know, loosen the reins a little bit. Or if it really is Schmetzer saying, okay, you can do this. Now, can you do this? And him rising to that challenge. Either way, it's very impressive to watch that growth just from game to game. It it has been. It's been very impressive. Uh, I I feel like invariably he's going to have to go to the bench because at some point, there's just not room for him in the starting 11, but it's not at all hard to see him pushing his way into, you know, the 12th or 13th spot on the roster where he has to be considered anytime one of those front five are missing those front five being Raul Rui Diaz, Jordan Morris, Christian Roldan, Nico Ladero, and Jao Paulo. I still like, it's very hard for me to imagine him displacing any one of those players. Like I'm not quite sure who would even be the top candidate for him to displace. Uh, But I feel like he can, because of 
the Sounders uh, flexibility among those, at least four of those five, they, you know, if any one of them is missing, it means Obed has got a decent chance to start, which is another thing I think that works in his favor. Uh, you know, after this last one, Brian kind of joked, you know, he's improving really quickly. I just hope he gets to do it with us. Uh, something like that, implying that, you know, this is a kid who could eventually get sold onto a, you know, a bigger league, a bigger club. Uh, but I, I don't think that's going to happen immediately, but it, it does, you know, it's like Brian is pretty reserved with that kind of praise. And it was telling to me that he was willing to say something like that. Sort of jokingly started having this conversation in a group chat in the last, in the last week, uh, sort of before the Nashville game where I was saying he's kind of quickly approaching a point where it's not, Oh, I want to see him get minutes. The challenge for this staff is finding minutes for him so that he can continue to grow and quickly approaching a point where it's like, well, how do we get Obed on the field? Because we need to, because he legitimately makes the chances of winning a game better. Um, It's, he's really good. Yeah. I, 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 it's, he is, I, I, I think like the, what jumps out to me is that for all the, uh, the positive points, there aren't right now a lot of, obvious mistakes he's making either like every now and then maybe he'll lose he'll lose someone or he'll get bodied off a ball that you would think maybe I, I would you know I would prefer him not to have that happen but he's not he's not making real obvious mistakes like even you know which I I feel like is very similar to what we were saying about Josh Atencio at this point last year uh, of course injuries sort of have caught up to him and he hasn't been able to get on the field regularly for for a while now but I don't know. It's, it's, it's very encouraging. I think it, it, you know, Wade Weber deserves a lot of credit, I think for getting him to this point and, you know, having the Sounders, having a 16 year old who's pushing his way into the roster is pretty exciting. Uh, and there's a decent chance he's going to end up starting again this week against RSL because it looks like Raul Rui Diaz is probably going to be out again. And depend, depending on what the Sounders do to fill that void, uh, my suspicion is that maybe they'll move Jordan Morris into that spot. Uh, but they, you know, it, it could open up room for for Vargas to play again. But that brings us to sort of a larger point, which is Raul Ruiz Diaz's health. He came off at halftime against Montagua. I think it's a coincidence that the Sounders scored four goals after he, he came off, but a little dispiriting that he managed to get through all of preseason just fine. And now he seems to have, I, I think it's a, a hamstring injury. Is that what we're, we're going with? Yeah. yeah. A hamstring injury that looks like it's going to keep him out at least for another, another game. Uh, you know, the, the prognosis that, Brian shared after the game was we're hoping to get him ready for Lyon, but that might even be a little optimistic. I would not be thrilled to have to play the next leg of CCL without him. Yeah. It just doesn't seem ideal at all. Yeah. But I think 
skipping the RSL game for him isn't a big deal. You can do Jordan Morris up top, start Leo Hu. You can do Jordan Morris up top, start Obed Vargas. You can do Freddie Montero up top. Um, so they've got options. Um, yeah. And that part's not not a big deal. And, you know, players are going to get hurt. Like if it's a minor injury that keeps a star player out for a couple of weeks, not a big deal. If it's uh, he can't travel down to Lyon, then I'm at a big deal because that's basically half a month of two game weeks. And um, uh, winning on the road in Mexico is darn near impossible still for MLS in ideal circumstances he does get two extra days though now for the away leg yes the Sounders did announce that they are moving the second leg or that the second leg was moved from the 15th to the 17th is that right yeah uh so they have two extra days of rest after the galaxy game and then I think it also ends up fitting better with they have Austin after Leon so they're already gonna I would imagine what they'll do is they'll fly from uh, Seattle to Lyon, Lyon to Austin. Whereas if they had to, if the, if the Lyon game was on Tuesday instead of Thursday, they may have flown back from, from Lyon back to Seattle instead of going to Austin. Cause they would have meant having to spend, you know, two extra days in, in Austin. Um, but so it, that's, that's a nice change. I think it, it works out well. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I, I guess the other piece of good news is that Will Bruin looks like he's getting closer. I, I don't imagine he's going to be ready to start against RSL just because he hasn't uh, played at all. And it would be a little surprising if he starts his first game back. But, you know, there's there's reason to think that the Sounders are reasonably well equipped to manage a short period without Rui Diaz. It's just a bummer. Like, I... I I just want the Sounders to have a CCL run where they are fully fit and are able to go like actually put their best team out on the field. And, and I feel like that's never something that's been able to happen. We really thought it was going to be this year. We did. We were so naive back. I know a week and a half ago. Right. Exactly. On, on top of just the general, it would be much better if Raul was back in time for the second leg with Leon. He also just loves playing against Liga Emeki's teams. Yes. Uh, he really seemed to enjoy his time in League's Cup. If anyone watched him, particularly during the skills challenge for the All-Star game against the Liga Emeki's All-Stars, he was having the best time. And he won two Golden Boots in that league. So... He'd, he'd be a nice piece to have for that game, and I think he'd have a good time going so down if, to Mexico and so messing Raul some people up. So is anywhere close to being able to play, then he will be there, is what you're saying. He's going to make sure he's there. I, I think that might be the case. And the nice thing about Raul is that we have a long history of him not training in full, and if he's fit, he's fit. Like, there's no... Like he, this is a guy who came back from COVID and started like two days later or whatever it was. That was, so it's like the, if, if he's fit, I suspect he'll start. Like, that's just, that's the way it goes with him. Right. So, all right. Well, that's, that's probably a good place to call this. Uh, thank you, Beth 
and Tim, Dave, who has had to bow out a little early, uh, was also here. I'm Jeremiah O'Shan. This is the Sound at Heart podcast, and we'll catch you next time.